Good morning, good afternoon, good evening to you, wherever you are, and welcome to the 4Play Music Podcast, episode number 19. I'm David, and I will be joined by my fabulous co-hosts and music brothers, Alan, Darren and Mark. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, then the premise of them is that we pick a theme and then we each choose four songs or albums related to that particular theme. In today's show, we'll be continuing to talk about albums from 1980. In the last episode, we managed to come up with six albums. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hi everyone, how are we all doing? Mark, you're uh, you're beardless for people watching in black and white. I am indeed, I'm, I'm beardless. For those, it's like the, the, uh, the brown's behind the yellow. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I, I just thought I'd, uh, you know, I'm on, I'm on a bit of a, a bit of a health kick, and uh, just just losing the beard has uh, shed two pounds. Happy days. So I'm I'm happy enough for that, and uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to hold your time up too much, but uh, yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't too well uh, for the last two weeks. I um, contracted the the dreaded COVID, but thankfully double vaxxed, so. Um, all's well, all's well. So g- glad to be here and glad to be beardless for the first time in about a year and a half. And uh, looking forward to the um, the next hour or so. Great stuff, and glad you're doing all right. Those t shirts again, uh, of bands that uh, you've never heard, you've never got any of, um, <laughs> but you just like wearing the t shirt, I see. Yeah, this is my Akadaka one. Akadaka, Akadaka. Um, and Mr. Jones, you're sporting a, a, a predictable T-shirt, but fine one nonetheless. Yeah, predictable T-shirt on the uh, eve of the band's new album, which is released on on Friday, The Stranglers, uh, Dark Matters, it's called. And by all accounts, it's absolutely fantastic, um, despite uh, Dave Greenfield um, being yeah. no longer with us. But... Um, a lot of the tracks on there are, uh, are, were recorded before he passed away, and um, from what I have heard already, they are fantastic. So really looking forward to doing the rest of the album, and also the Manix album is out on Friday as well. Yeah, looking forward to that coming. Yeah, yeah. So, so that features the uh, the cover features a view from my hometown. Of Tenby on the South Beach, looking over to what's known as Coldy Island. Well, okay. nice. There were so many. I've done so many pre-orders in the last couple of months, and they all seem to be coming out around the same time. Yeah. 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 First of October. <laughs> Gonna have to get a new porch, I think. Got a few. Yeah. First of October's. Uh, yeah, we're filling up. Yeah. 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 And Darren, fresh from pantomime rehearsals. Oh yeah, auditions today. Yeah, so we'll right. see how that goes. Fingers crossed for everybody that auditioned today. Uh, oh no, you didn't. <laughs> oh yes, I did. Alan did that one before we started recording. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. predictable. Uh, and I'm afraid I I totally forgot today that I was meant to wear a band T-shirt. Um, but let's imagine that I'm wearing either a Ned's Atomic Dustbin or a Carter USM. Oh, I know you're talking. I, I've got them up in the attic somewhere. So. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Not as predictable as not as predictable as Akaduka. Did they do the pineapple stomp? Akaduka. Akaduka. Was it the pineapple? ACDC. Pina colada. No. 
I'm sure they did the. Uh, Oh, I know exactly. I get to yeah. Easy to get. Easy to get them confused. Was black lace, wasn't it? Easy. Oh yeah, that was it. Black. Um, I'm more. This is this is more kind of back to black now. Yeah. Back in black. Sorry. <laughs> Are you wearing um, your black lace today, Mark? As well. <laughs> I I am wearing the black lace today. Yeah. So this is Sunday, and uh, they call me Loretta. Brilliant. I'm pleased to say as well, Mark, but I've still got my beard at the moment and I haven't had COVID yet. So I'm glad you're well. Yeah. Thank you. Good man. Nice beard too. How are you, DT? I'm doing all right. Phoning in from sunny Wales, Radnorshire in Powys. Radnorshire. Wow. Good so, so Nice. You picked up the afternoon yet, Dave? No, and I wouldn't do you the... Uh, this service of trying it either. Right. As, as yeah, you're so here. Ludlow, yeah, excellent. Didn't even know there was a castle. We've been there, I don't know how many times. We hadn't got to the bottom end of town to go around to see the visit of the castle. Oh, right, so mm. we definitely stayed there once. We went to visit, we went to Gloucester once. It's a good record shop, actually. Well, there's one very good one, Modlang, um, run by a guy, Paul Bradshaw. So um, had had a great little time in there. Nice conversation with him. Um, I've been there before and it's always been fruitful. So, and I've got my T-shirt, but I will save revealing it until we get to my album nomination. Yeah, yeah. Okay then, guys. So let's get cracking. Um, it's going to be a short one today. Genuinely is today. Um, and we're going to pick up with selection number seven. And that's going to be coming from Mark. What's your yeah, second one? nice one. Nice one. So today actually is September the 5th. And um, it's also Freddie Mercury's 75th birthday. And it would have been 75th birthday. And uh, I thought it... Uh, predictable and poignant and uh, all the rest of it to pick an album of Queen's from 1980 and and I don't do this just because it's Queen I do it because I genuinely love this album it's got it's got some great songs off it and uh, it was released they started recording it in 79 it took a bit of a, a twist and a turn from the days in like say 1977 when um Brian May professed that they, they have a particular aversion to synthesizers um, <clears throat> on this particular album. Because the first time they used synthesizers, I believe it was in Oberheim. Uh, I could be, somebody can correct me on that one. Um, the album is, of course, The Game. Um, and it had songs such as Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which was actually released in 79 in the UK, Save Me. Uh, play the game, another one bites the dust and need your loving tonight. Two of those songs were written by the great John Deacon, who resides somewhere in Putney um, and is, is, is living a very recluse life and hasn't played with a band since 1997. And I've all the more respect for him for doing that. Um, obviously, crazy little thing called Love uh, was, was a Freddie song. And then you've got Play the Game, which is also Freddie. But you've got some great, great B-sides in there as well. Um, a particular favourite of mine uh, that would have missed, I think it would have missed the B-sides um, episode we did, was called Dragon Attack. 
and it's so it's just so powerful on the drum and the bass and um you, you could swear that it was actually deacon wrote this but it was actually brian may and it was almost like um may was trying to emulate another one bites the dust because he knew they were getting into this kind of disco hip i don't know what was funk soul sort of um stride yeah. it, it um I, I guess a dance rock because they, they topped the charts everywhere and uh, absolutely smashed the united states uh used the world helped them do that in 77 and then 78 with jazz but 1980 it was it was a really strange um episode with queen and the and the us of a because it was the first time if you ever noticed the video with um crazy little thing called love freddie was strutting his stuff in his leather gear uh without the mustache and then the mustache came on for play the game so there were there were gay connotations coming through there and then suddenly the us of a realized um mm. The lead man is, in fact, bisexual, gay. And, and then they just took a massive nosedive in the US uh, from about 82 to 85. And that's when they started to do really well in South America. So, so this, for me, is in as a top four, not just because it's Queen, but because it, it's a pivotal moment in their their musical journey. It goes from the kind of the, the real hard rock, bombastic um just brilliance of the 70s to a more commercialized but switched totally switched on to what the pay, uh, the pen public want but they don't completely sell themselves out with it because the, the songs that come off the album are are just brilliant i mean we all know them um some are often just played out but um i have two favorites on the album um if we're putting yeah. on the compilation one is um dragon attack and the other one is it's actually sung by brian may as well it's called sail away sweet sister that's on side b just as a little change from um you know the the the, the songs that we know and love and as mm -hmm. i said it's, yeah it's the first time they use synthesizers because they, they would always say on the bottom of the album uh the, you know with all the credits you know who played what instrument and they would have in bold writing no synthesizers were used until until this particular until album <laughs> no synthesizers were harmed in the making of this album <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah i mean there's some shite on there as well like um <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's there's one song called rocket prime j which is real roger taylor uh, Taylor had some serious hits, hits and misses, um, especially on, on the jazz album. And, and then this this one, I'm, I'm not a fan of Rocket uh, and Rocket Prime Jive and Coming Soon. But I would say I could safely hang my hat on the rest of them and say they're all great songs. Wow. So where, where yeah. that ranks in your all-time Queen album list? Ah, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, so I would I would have sheer I would have I would I would have sheer heart attack up there at number one yeah by by a distance um I'd probably have um a day at the races in there at second news of the world um wow. oh yeah the night maybe yeah it's it's a toss up because you know some of their stuff in the eighties as well you had like the works. Was a phenomenal album. Mm. The works from 1984 that that you know I want to break free. 
uh, Hammer to Fall, Radio Gaga. That was a great album as well. I, I would say the game would go in maybe at number six. Okay. Six, seven. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Great tracks on there. Brilliant tracks on there. Yeah. A great album. Yeah, I bought, I bought that um, not so long ago. I mean, I had it on CD and vinyl, but um, I bought a, a DVD audio of it. I think I saw it fairly cheap. And uh, yeah, it's nice. Some nice bass sound on that album, of course. You know, another one by the which is which is all what I think you said before that a bit of a rip off of the chic track. Yeah, good times. Good times by Sheik. So they, they tried to sue them and uh, I, I I don't think it was even settled out of court. Uh, it was thrown thrown out, it didn't even get to court. Mm. Um so Queen Queen won that one and they also won the, the one against the Lies. I think oh, they get eight percent of the royalties after that. Um absolute <laughs> dire effort. No, it's a nice album, it's a nice sleeve as well, isn't it? It's like a foily Mm. Uh, silver foil sleeve. Yeah, it's like a it's like a monochrome, but a but a really yeah. you know, bright silver sheen to. Yeah, nice. So what I find interesting, Mark, is that what you've described for Queen for the next for the three albums that I'm putting in for 1980. I think we all agreed 1980 was a sweet spot in many different ways, and I hadn't realised it's actually that for a number of the the bands that I've got towards the top of my list for 1980, it's actually a transitional period. It's where they move from what they were to what they become. In yeah. there. And as you just described there, in, with Queen using that sort of big beat, as you say, gets gets them into... And I'm just thinking back to 1980, as, as I was trying to fight with lots of different types of music or, or bands and genres and genres fading out, new genres coming in, new romantics just coming through. But they still managed to carve out um, or continue and building on their their own reputation. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's almost like somebody said they flick the switch at nineteen eighty and said, "Right, it all changes now." I think you find there is a lot of that anyway. I mean, I'm sure if we were mm. to talk about nineteen seventy or any of the sort of beginning of the decades, and we. I think we had a lot of it, didn't we? Is when we turned the millennium as well. It's people thinking, okay, now we're going into a, you know, need to do something a bit different. And it was a chance. Obviously, the, the back end of the seventies was all about trying to distance from sort of the big old monolithic um, bat or groups, um, which didn't didn't happen. It, I think it created a new version of punk or a way people could just get into the music business without having to be. You know, classically trained, which is where you get most of your 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 big bands from the from the seventies, and you now just coming in, so you don't have to be a great synth player to be able to just put some notes on the keyboard sounds into yeah. into your tracks. Yeah, well, what I loved about it as well was it didn't go over the top. So when they introduced the synthesizers, it was very very subtle. It was on play the game. And it was that um, almost this, the the introduction and it reached a crescendo, but it came straight back to Queen again with with heavy guitar, bass, and drum, and um, they didn't over over egg it. It was it was almost like let's give it a go, let's see yeah. how it sounds, 
and uh, and just take it from there. I mean, May was completely averse to it. He didn't he didn't want some <laughs> at all. He wanted to go through the eighties, the nineties without an ever touching synthesizer. You know, good old fashioned four piece band. Um and, and just use a keyboard instead of a synthesizer. But um he was he was running around, I think one round, I think Deacon had a lot to say in it. Um, Deacon had, he, he was the quiet man in the band, always sat back, didn't get involved in arguments. But at the same time, he, he was quite influential, particularly in the 80s. And of course, he came out with not, not just another one bites the dust, but um, he came out with I Want to Break Free as well. So the, the more pop mainstream, Deacon was quite switched on to that and had to sometimes drag the likes of Taylor into that. Whereas, and Mercury could see that, and there were more collaborations between Mercury and Deacon throughout the 80s. Um, one of their big hits, Friends Will Be Friends, was Mercury and Deacon written all over it. And under pressure, of course. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting to see the dynamic of the band changing from Mercury May, who were the, like, Lennon McCarthy, you know, Jagger Richards, to the likes of Deacon becoming more heavily involved in it through the 80s brilliant okay yeah. brilliant choice yeah okay i don't think mine's going to find such popularity to be honest <laughs> um, yeah. give it a go and i'm going to start by revealing the t-shirt mm. oh, okay so but you posted something on twitter about mm. these guys yesterday. oh you weren't supposed to well you're the one who reads it very much on there uh and <laughs> And my friend Vivian, who's a massive, massive Rush fan, who's got tattoos of them and um, has met them several times, bit of a, a Geddy, uh, absolutely loves Geddy Lee. Um, yeah, a big fan. So, yeah, couldn't resist saying that I was going to put them in today. So um, I am putting in as my second choice, Rush's Permanent Waves. And like I was saying earlier on, it was, it was a very much a, a transitional album. So for people who don't follow Rush or don't know much about Rush, um, they won't be aware that their longtime drummer, um, known as the Professor Neil Peart, um, passed earlier this year. But Rush as a band, they started back in the 70s and similar to, to Led Zeppelin, they continued to release records well into the into the new millennia. Um, and in fact, the T-shirt I'm sporting is from a 2007 tour. Um, but when, when Peart was signed as their drummer to their first album, they were just going through... Um, I started producing lots of well-known staple rock, heavy rock, prog metal. There's maybe not prog metal. Lots of different albums, 2112, Farewell to the King. Um, and there's lots of those successful. But I was fortunate enough to see them in the Hammersmith Odeon in London on their 1980 tour when they toured Permanent Waves, um, which was also included probably the biggest single success, The Spirit of the Radio. I don't know if you remember that one, Alan. I was looking at the, uh, on Wiki, at the track listing, and I thought, well, I don't know much about Russia. I know mm. you mentioned it before um, on the podcast. Uh, but yeah, if you had me here all night, probably I would want to come up with Spirit of the Radio. But, but, but that, they're not that sort of band. Yeah, but they're not really a singles band. People, well, mm. uh, Normally, there'd only be three, three or four tracks to an album. And that, grad, that gradually changed as they shifted a little bit. 
Um, so, I mean, I was lucky to see them, as I said, in 1980, and it was one of those real strokes of luck, not for someone else who had to, who couldn't make it, but I suddenly had friends outside my front door knocking, saying, Dave, Dave, come on quick, we've got a free ticket for you, because um, some guy dropped out. So um, all hopped in the car, and we were only about half an hour, 40 minutes away from Hammersmith Odin, as was then. Um, but this album itself, it, it, it was a, a sea change. It saw them shift production f- towards more radio-friendly compositions and away from those progressive rock roots. Um, a shift which you really see in those first two songs, uh, the ones which you may recognise, Alan, um, the spirit of the radio and, and free will. They, they did make a big effort to move away from those big epic songs, a bit sci-fi, um, even though <laughs> then they couldn't stop themselves towards the end uh, on the album, they still have another big long tune on there just to reassure, I think, their, their regulars that they haven't changed completely and uh, they, they didn't break away completely from their original roots. Um, there's there's one in their Natural Science, which is a long uh, in, an intense testament to the beautiful experimental endeavours of the band and one which went on to influence quite a few other people, um, producer Terry Brown and some teenage metal fans who in those days included the likes of Dave Grohl, Beck and uh, Stephen Malkmus. Uh, so for them, I think they, they sort of followed the band as they'd grown from 2012 to came out in 76 all the way through to, to this one. But uh, when this one came out, it did it opened up new markets for them. Um, Spirit of the Radio was their only UK hit in the albums, uh, but it did give them a chance. You know, they kept that one down to five minutes um, and it gave them a real chance, but they did try and pick up on other influences. So uh, there's there's some, some way some of the songs are composed and built are similar to the way the police would have built some of their songs. Um, and the guitarist, Alec Lifeson, he played hands-free sort of guitar, arpeggios the same way as Andy Summer or The Edge would have done um, using those different techniques. A couple of things become clear um, when they recorded Permanent Waves is that the trio were less interested in those epic themes and they wanted to still keep the sort of the, the big instrumentals going. The other one was that the, they wanted to have different rhythm patterns and, and some shifts in change. They Neil Pert started writing a lot more um, and he used sort of conceptual vehicles for different ideas, concerns, and use, and as I said, called the professor, the, what people described as cerebral poetry. Um, it's easy to criticise what you don't know, which is something that was said at the time about them. Uh, and it seems though there were a lot of journalists that never really warmed to Rush, but they've always found their... their fans loyal they've stuck with them and even when they've changed they were always easy targets um, but for this one particularly for me it's a top five status uh, rating for this permanent waves and it's a genre which i know not every, everyone loves and if you can get past geddy lee's voice which does offset off put some people um, it's actually an outstanding album so that's my album number two yeah nice i know my my brother's a drummer himself and he's always been a massive fan of Rush right. um, and Neil Peart in particular. He was very sad at his passing, as, as I'm sure we all were. Yeah. But um, I think he'd have got it. They started in about 
early 70s, didn't they, Rush? My brother's younger than me, so I'm thinking potentially he must have got into their later stuff, maybe around permanent waves. Yeah, I, I, I think they were fairly early 70s, and uh, like that's one of the first picks, one, 21, 12, that was 76. Um, yeah. I mean, they've got a fairly long sort of CV of albums that you can can uh, mine and go back to. Yeah. But they did keep on pushing themselves forwards, and, you know, th- th- there's a few drummers who, if we would sit down and have a vote about or decide who the top drummers are, he is one of those in there, and it's it's very personal taste anyway. So there's no there's no perfect answer, but certainly his that people struggle to be able to copy the way he played in the same way that people have struggled to try and copy someone like Charlie Watts. Very different style, but again, very individual. Yeah, yeah, there are bands I need to explore for sure. Well, I've not really got round to yet. So. No, I've obviously yeah. seen the album in you know. <clears throat> the shops in there yeah you know for years and years but i've always sort of flipped flipped on do you know what i mean yeah oh, i love it actually it's um the cover is quite striking it is isn't it uh, mm. it's um it was i'm just reading now on, on wiki saying that, that um it was uh the photo is taken um there was a uh, hurricane carla and and the photo is at Galveston Seawall in Texas and the photo was actually taken on September the 11th 1961 so you know near enough 60 years ago to the day yeah so that's quite uh that's quite impressive quite poignant yeah uh yeah so that's got a very striking cover yeah and then it's got a model in the the front of all the carnage and you can see all these massive waves yeah, I have to say I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a philistine when it comes to Rush, um, sadly so, because I've got mates in Canada who, who just um, can't get enough of them. Uh, they're, they're almost like a, <laughs> I, I don't know, the art of the Canadians, you two are to us, the Irish and the yeah. British. Um, a national treasure, yeah, that's, that's the phrase I'd use. Um, they, they are Canadian, aren't they? You're right, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've heard Rush in bars in, in Canada. Um, and I do know um, the song The Spirit of Radio. But apart from that, I, re- I really have to get into them. Like, it's something that yeah, I remember. Yeah, you've got a Rush t-shirt though, Mark. <laughs> I, 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 this is a <laughs> Keep telling you, hell spells. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I think if I saw it, you know, say they had a HMV uh, vinyl day and that was there in maybe curve, you know, clear vinyl, just pick it up like that. And, wow. Yeah. You know, you know, I think you need to be fair to yourself, though, Alan. You, you should give, just give it a place if it's something you even want to get started in. Because once you start, yeah. then I know that, then all of a sudden there's a, a hole appears in the collection that you've one feels compelled to feel. Yeah. I mean, I certainly, I, I, again, one of their other albums, I think, was, was Hemispheres. Mm. Again, I can remember, I can, I've seen that. Farewell to the Kings. Yeah. 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 Probably, yeah. But, yeah well, I'll, I'll pick it up one day. I, like, I picked up uh, Jeff Rhodes Hole the other day in the HMV day. Right. And I've listened to that for the first time. And I can see myself, yeah. I, think I, I can see myself doing it with a Rush album. <laughs> nice. Nice. Excellent. 
Okay, guys, let's move on. Uh, Darren, you're up next, your third choice. Okay, right, so I've gone for um, another LP, uh, certainly inspired by my youth. Um, one of the earliest albums I ever remember playing. Uh, this 66-year-old uh, frontman is still going strong today. Uh, this album was released on the 3rd of November 1980 on CBS Records. And if I start with uh, something that a journalist, Stephen Thomas Erlewine of All Music said, he said this was one of the greatest defining albums of its time. There's simply nothing else like it. Nothing else that has the same bravado, the same swagger, the same gleeful self-aggrandizement and sense of camp. And I think it was that sense of camp that really attracted me to this particular artist. Uh, we're talking about Kings of the Wild Frontier by Adam and the Ants. Uh, and Adam Ant, who, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Stuart Goddard is his real name, is that right? Yep, it is. Yeah. Earlier, yeah. Um, and I think it was just, when I was, I was an eight-year-old when this album came out. And I think, if I'm completely honest, it was probably a year later when I really took to this band with the release of Prince Charming. But this is probably after I'd heard Prince Charming, I think I must have gone back and revisited this album. Well, properly visited it, I guess. Um, I mean, Adam Ant was just such a talismanic frontman. Um, not just a frontman, obviously, a few years where he went solo as well. But the band formed in 1977, uh, originally just called The Ants, until he kind of met some other guys, and Marco and Merrick and Terry Lee, as he sings in one of the songs, um, met the rest of the band, and made the transition to kind of almost post-punk. I think he was inspired by punk, and this was... Um, one of the first post-punk bands, I believe. Uh, he was a big, well, I think it was mainly him that brought the, what they call the Burundi beat, into popular music. Hence the two drummers that he always has. He always has the two female drummers even now. And the Burundi beat was a Central African uh, nation linked to Rwanda. It would have sort of 25 different drums on the go and different rhythms and beats. And, and you can tell when you... You may not realise that when you first hear them. When you listen back to it, you can really see the influence that they had from that, from the Burundi. Uh, this album reached number one in the UK album chart. It had hits such as Kings of a Wild Frontier. Show you the cover there for anyone watching. Uh, just Adam Ant in his Prince Charming outfit on the cover. Uh, Kings of a Wild Frontier. It had Dog Eat Dog on there, Ant Music, Jolly Roger. And I think... Every time I listen to this album now, it just takes me back to 1980. Oh. And it just feels really good. Uh, it's, I guess some people would say it's dated, but I just think it takes you back to that place. Uh, it came with a catalogue as well. Yeah. Got the original catalogue in there, which tells you all about the band and the artist. And that was quite cool to have that original one still with it. Um, and that's about it, really. I'm going to keep it short and see what you guys want to say. Uh, but I, to me, that is... And I, an iconic, as iconic an album as Prince Charming from Adam and the Ants. So that was 1981, I think, so I couldn't get it in this. I happen to be reading this book at the moment, Sweet Dreams by Dylan Jones, which oh, yeah. is, which, uh, so he's he's written many good books, a particularly good one around, uh, about David Bowie as well. And what he does is he takes um, words or whether it's, clippings, news clippings, reports, um, interviews from people from the era and weaves a story about it. And mm. the bit which I didn't know about Adam and the Ants was that 
but I actually got rid of all of his band at one point and then sort of reconstructed it. Um, so, all right. like, so if you just go back, I forget which year it was a bit before. Um, and obviously it was a great move and he was always, Adam himself, he, he was always, he knew the importance and, you know, these are children of the David Bowie era uh, and Brian Ferry create that image and by him just even having the two white stripes on his face but not become iconic but become memorable and you know he, yeah. he did that to such great great extent and of course then it, it what also happened for him was the timing of this you know with the arrival of MTV there's a sudden deluge of, of yeah. British bands in the states and a lot of the American bands <laughs> took ages to actually react and know how to how to um, deliver their music in a way that would capture the audiences on there. So people like, like Adam and the Ants, they were you know, the vanguards at the forefront of that. Yeah. I think the, the music videos are dated a lot worse than the music, though. <laughs> I watched some of the videos yesterday, and the music still sounds great, but the videos have been <laughs> Stand and deliver. What do you mean? <laughs> Well, we talked about Panto a minute ago. I think the Prince Charming video literally starts with Panto characters. <laughs> Diana, do you remember Diana Doors? Yeah, yeah. yeah she, exactly. was, she made an appearance and I was a fairy godmother. Oh, yeah, she in that particular. Yeah. yeah. Charming. I'm doing the yeah. Uh, Prince Charming, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Prince Charming. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I have to say in the early 80s, I, I was pretty. Um, Blinkered with my with my music, and as I said, I've said time and time again, my mum was a big influence in in, my, in what I liked with music, and um, I was really into the Police then, and starting to get into Queen and U two and bands like that, um, and Prince Charming just didn't do it for me at the time, but now I look back on him with with great affection because he did he Adam the Ants they did something that um, that just wasn't done by any band before or since, and they captured a a, a time, you know, uh, that was the early eighties, uh, new romanticism, and he did it so well. He's so so clever with it. Uh, knew how to harness MTV. Knew that it wasn't yeah. just the music; it was the vi the visual side of things as well. Yeah, and uh, created a character just like just like David Bowie did. Yeah, you know, morph themselves every time. Yeah, it's, uh, it resonated with me, and I remember. <clears throat> I remember it's the first album I went and bought with my own money, and I went and bought the album, got it back, and we were going on holiday, and I recorded it onto cassette tape, and I took it. I took my ghetto blaster, I put my shot, <laughs> took my ghetto blaster on holiday, and I had Prince Charming with me, and Keith and Wild Friends here with me. Yeah. <laughs> remember, when I listen to the songs now, I think they're great. Mm. I think I think they're absolutely you know stand and deliver is fantastic. Prince Charming's brilliant. Even yeah. even off, off, off this particular album, Kings of White Frontier itself. Um, yeah. I mean, for John me, Roger. for me, I, I think they certainly I think they improved from Kings of Wild Frontier to Prince to Prince Charming. Yeah, formerly you'd expect a debut album to be kind of the best and up there, but not necessarily so there. Even though it's a great album. Yeah. But again, yeah, I mean, I remember. I remember I came in a little bit earlier than that because they had um, a single out um, called Xerox, I think it was in 1979. Okay. And um, 
it's it was on a it was released on um, some in, um, independent label I think then at the time, but uh, yeah, it's called Xerox and uh, didn't get a lot of doesn't get a lot of um, uh, I don't think it gets the, the, the coverage or the appreciation that it should do because it's a fantastic song and um, it never even appeared on their first album. No, it's not. I'll have a listen to that. It never even appeared, but it's a great track. Um, it does appear on um, one or two compilations, uh, CD compilations that I've got, but yeah, it's a great track. But um, mm. yeah, Kings of the Wild Frontier. That, the track itself, Kings of the Wild Frontier, as you said, with the you know the Burundi beat, the two drums in it. Yeah, I mean that's just fantastic. And the, again, the bass in that is brilliant. The riff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's fantastic. I often play that album. Um, a couple of years ago. Yeah, a couple of years ago. Um, I haven't got it down here. It's still up upstairs, but uh, I bought the. Um, uh, yeah, it would box. have been the 40th anniversary box, yeah, where, where the album is in gold vinyl, um, and you oh, get, um, you get, say, so all the stuff that came, you know, with the original, you know, the booklet and the thing, you know, you could send away for the t-shirts and all yeah. that, and uh, and it's got CDs, the CD in the same. Well, I picked it up. I think originally, pardon me, originally it was about 80, 84 quid. I picked it up for brand new, about 29 quid, and I was so pleased with it. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a lovely, lovely copy, and um, yeah, I think it's really nice. underrated underrated band and an album still yeah. doesn't, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of people, I think, still didn't really get Adam the Ants. They might have seen the singles, and they might have bought a single after watching it on top of the pops. But yeah. I don't I think that I don't think many people actually bothered to buy the album. Um it's just it's um, you know, for me the best track on there is The Kings of the Wild Swan Deer. Mm. You know, that track no, so yeah, it's a great choice there, Daz. Yeah, thank you. Well if you want to catch him, he's on tour next year and I saw him uh, a few years ago in Bristol. Yeah and he still puts on a brilliant show. Yeah. And he's doing he's the very, tour February. He was very ill, wasn't he? Like yeah. He got, he got very ill. Quite a lot of mental health issues, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 When was that? That must be in the 90s, was it? No? What in the 90s? Yeah. Yeah. I, remember, I just remember seeing him. And, um, God love me, you know, from this very devilishly handsome fella in the early 80s to somebody who'd been dragged through a few edges. Yeah. 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 But I think yeah. he's on the man now. Oh, he's worth catching. He's really good live still. Yeah. Well, well, I think we've got to give give a shout out to one of the guys uh, the, uh, in the band as well. I think his his name is Marco Peroni. Is it Mar yeah. oh, White? Marco uh, Peroni, or something like that. Marco Peroni. Peroni, that's it. Yeah, and um, he's responsible for a lot of that sound. You know. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it would be rude not to mention his name in 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 the production and uh, you know, bringing together some of those songs. Absolutely, yeah. 
Brilliant. I think that is the closest he's coming to us, David, if you fancy a road trip. <laughs> I think I'd prefer to go and see Human League and Heaven oh, yeah. 17. Yeah. Yeah. yeah oh, definitely. Are... Heaven 17. Is human, human, human League. A uh, big shout out to Dave Chappell, his favourite band along with you two. Um, okay. He, he, loves, he loves Human League. Yeah. 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 Oh, Heaven 17, that was mentioned recently. Um, they got their name from a. It was a Clockwork Orange, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah. That was a quiz question on the chase. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I can tell what I've been up to a lot of sport nights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Cracking yeah. album. Okay. Alan, let's move on right. to your third choice then. Okay. Time to open up the Book of Love. Oh, okay. Because uh, I have to make notes. I'm not as... Uh, can't remember facts like you guys. And I'm nowhere near as articulate or as swift with my delivery. Um, <laughs> I'm learning. Okay, so this is... Uh, I think I said last time... Uh, two albums were released on the same day, and this is the second of them. The first one was the Dexies album, Searching for the Young Soul Rebels, which uh, was my second choice. But my third choice is uh, was released on the 11th of July, 1980, the same day as Dexies Midnight Runners was. Um, and uh, this is this band's fourth studio album, um, but it was their first with... Uh, a new frontman, really. Um, he took over the lead vocals and guitar. Um, this band had already done three albums and they were fronted by a guy called John Fox. Um, and uh, he, he left. Um, it was a, you know, a bit of a fallout. And he, the, and he was replaced with a guy called Mitch, called Mitch Yell. Uh, I haven't really heard of this guy. I think he, he mentioned he was in a pop band called Slick at the time. Um, but I can remember it was a Saturday afternoon. And much as my want on a Saturday, I would always be found um, in record shops. Uh, go out either down uh, into London, uh, in Oxford Street, uh, Bailey's Water, something like that. Uh, but at this time, I was down in the Virgin Megastore, which at the time they had down in uh, High Street Kensington. And uh, they're kind of in those days, a Virgin Megastore, everything was kind of brown, brown carpet, it's very moody lighting in these places. And, um, and and I went in and you know started going through the racks and I remember hearing this coming out of the speakers uh, and I thought how is this good what is this and I just stood in there and you know pretended to browse the records but I must have been in there and I heard probably most of the album I was blown away with it and uh, the album is called Vienna. Um, and uh, it was not until it didn't get initially it didn't get a lot of um, a lot of people didn't really didn't really 
take to it. I took it, took it. So it was a third single. Um, so um, they released singles called Sleepwalk and Passing Strangers. But then in January 1981, they decided to re release the title track, uh, which was Vienna. And it's that that really was the catalyst for how this album became, you know, did become very popular. Um, there was a, a moody um, black and white video that accomplished this, uh, taking that company for the, the, the music. And, um, you know, that, I think that then really set the popularity for it. Um, but it's got some great tracks on there, um, you know, not just the singles, um, but uh, tracks like uh, New Europeans, Private Lives, Mr. X, uh, there's a track called Western Promise. Um, and the, the closer on the album is Also Still, which really goes at 100 miles an hour and then just suddenly stops at the yeah. end of it. It's great, immediate stop to the yeah. album. Um, but my favourite's actually the opening track, um, and uh, it, there's no words to it. It's an instrumental, goes on for over seven minutes, and it call and it's called Astridine, and it's a fantastic instrumental, moody, moody track. That well, well, I must have come in and, and maybe heard the last. I don't know, three or four minutes of it, when, you know, when I'd gone into the shop. But it was fantastic, and just I just instantly had to buy it. And um, the copy I bought um, over 40 years ago, 41 years ago, is there. And it's got a great iconic sleeve. Uh, the production on this um, by Connie Plank. Um, famous, I think he was... Uh, at his studios in, in New Germany, some Berlin maybe. Um, but it's a fantastic album and uh, I've just gone on to to appreciate it more as the years have gone on. Uh, you've got some um, great drumming on here uh, by Warren Can. Um, you know, they did start, obviously there was a lot of synthesizer on here. Um, uh, by Billy Curry, and uh, so you know Warren Cam and Billy Curry, they were from the original band. Uh, and then you had uh, Chris Cross on bass, um, but also um, Billy Curry um, actually played a lot of the, a lot of electric violin on on these tracks. So it was um, just really something unusual and something that just hit me. And, and you know, I've loved it ever since, and um, it's uh, so it's released on the 11th of July 1980 on the Chrysalis record label. Well, clocking out 43 uh, 37. Um, so yeah, so I've gone on to love this album a few years ago, Record Store Day, there was a white vinyl version. Um, and then for the 40th anniversary, they brought out. Um, a clear vinyl version with um, some live tracks. Uh, that's a lovely package. There's a CD version of it with a load of bonus tracks. And then for Record Store Day this year, they brought out a, 
um, a guy we've spoken a lot about, um, uh, Steve Wilson, Stephen Wilson. He um, he did a 40th anniversary. He did the 40th anniversary remix. But then, uh, so they decided to release this on vinyl for Record Store Day this year, and it comes with um, some instrumental versions of of the album. And um, surprisingly, the instrumental version of Astrodine is the same as the instrumental version uh, on the normal album. <laughs> but yeah, you can see I just love this album. So many times. You know. Quite a few copies. Yeah, it's got about ten, ten versions of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fantastic. If um, if you've never heard this album, then um, you know, please go out and give it a listen and get past that that first track, Astrodine, and then you'll just go into it, and it just just blows you away. Um, so yeah, if you can put Astrodine on the uh, podcast um, thing for yeah, that would be great but yeah that's my second choice I've got so, uh, it's uh, probably as, as far as the single goes Vienna's the greatest number two that never made a number one um, I think it was, it was in the number two slot when, when the charts were the charts and uh, it took a lot for you to get to number one um, I just remember Vienna being number two number two and uh, anybody for a bonus point, tell me what song held it off the number one spot. Oh wow! Uh, something like "Should I Be Your Face" or something. Like it, is, it was exactly that. Should yeah. I be your face? Don't you? Don't I, you? I, yeah. I didn't know that for sure, but I... <laughs> that's the song that kept, kept the, the, the brilliant Vienna off the number one spot. Wow! I was going to say yeah. it was a novelty single, and it kind of was, yeah. Mm. Oh. Well, I don't know. Have you guys got this one? Yeah, I've got yeah. a copy of that. An old, uh, an old early press, I think. I bought. I didn't fall for any of the record store day ones in that one, but I should have done. They look good. No, they're uh, lovely pressings. To be fair, your forty-year-old pressing looks amazing. <laughs> looks yeah, amazing. well, it's these sleeves I keep them in. You know, they they give everything a gloss. Yeah. Um, so they, they're fantastic. It's, it's, it's slightly discolouring, um, but um, yeah, I mean, I look after my records, as you know, and uh, my lifeblood. Yeah, I've got that as well. I got that when it came out, Alan. So it's uh, prime. Yeah. It's it's good to to revisit. Um, I also did pick up the Stephen Wilson remix because Stephen Wilson remix. Two questions for you. Um, first one: How do you rate that? Remix by Stephen Wilson. Um, yeah, a lot of the it brought some of the tracks. I mean, obviously, I know that the the album very well. Yeah. And some of the, I thought some of it, it did bring some different. I'll just just say that. Well, I thought. Well, I haven't heard that. I don't remember hearing that bit before. Um, it's not tremendously different. And uh, I think that's the case with most of what Stephen Wilson's done. He hasn't, you know, I know he's done stuff with, you know, Jethro Tull and he, yeah. he's, he's done stuff with Tears for Fears. He's not changed them dramatically. I mean, oh, he's done lots of stuff with XTC. He hasn't changed them dramatically. Huh. They may be a little bit clearer in the mix. Yeah. yeah. Than maybe the originals. But on this particular, on this particular album, um, he said, I don't think I can better the original. 
I don't think I can better it. He actually admitted to that. And, um, but uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting it's good, it's good. to hear them. And um, in my book, Sweet Dreams, I've been reading there, the, the talk with Majure, uh and how he never thought that Vienna was going to be a hit. There was nothing about the video that they produced for it would have he would have thought would have made it a, a success the way it was. Mm. Um, I just think, yeah, it was. It, I mean, it was say, very moody, black and white. It's very Casablanca, wasn't it? Oh, third man. There's, there's some fantastic. I mean, I've been to Vienna myself. There yeah. is some fantastic buildings there, yeah. and um, uh, yeah, I just think they they just got it right with that. And of course, you know, I mean, TV has got a lot of play. Um, yeah, one of, one of my favorite films, The Third Man, is definitely a yeah. reference for the video. There's no mm. doubt about it. Yeah. it being Vienna. Well, it's also the awesome um, well shooting, isn't it? It's, it's the camera angles and everything he uses, so many different yeah. things. Shadows. Yeah. I mean, just the, this, I mean, if you look at some of the effects they've got on the cover, like, yeah. the, um, the, the design on these. No, they, they look like it could be Anton Corbin. Uh, type stuff. Yeah, I mean, like, lovely presentation. It is. And, um, okay, that's good. Yeah, I, I don't think they they never bettered that album. They mm. never bettered it. Certainly in there, like that lineup. No, I didn't. Um, and your second question. So sticking with Midjour, I I can think of six bands he was part of. You've main, you've mentioned. Slick. Slick. Um, um, we've said Visage. Can you know, name another three of the four that I can think of? What, before he was in Ultra Uh Not necessarily before. One was after. Uh, was he ever part of a Boomtown Rats at any point? No, but there is, a, there is that connection there. Yeah. And, oh, was it Bob Gildall's band? Oh, well, Band Aid. Uh, no, band Aid. Band Aid is. Band Aid, yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah. Um, I mean, him and Gildall for the two masterminds yeah. behind They were indeed. Um, there was the other band that he then, from Slick, he sort of got, managed to get out of Scotland and he joined the Rich Kids. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I know them. Yeah, the Rich Kids um, songs. Uh, Ghosts of Princes and Powers okay. was their album, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I thought I remember buying I did buy the Rich Kid single in red vinyl, yeah. There we go. Talking that's a that's a very good song actually. Rich Kids. Yeah. And it was one of the pistols was in there as well, wasn't he? Glenn Matlock. Was it the Glenn mm. Matlock, that's it, yeah. yeah. Ah, right. Yeah. And he was also I've done if his how many album he was on Thin Lizzy. He played he toured with Thin Lizzy. Oh, Johnny yeah. the Fox. There you go. Wow, there you go. And he's also got. Uh, came yesterday. What? Did it? Just. Alan's just. Richie from. Um, showing us something. Yeah, for those of you watching in black and white, this is the uh, solo oh. in so, solo in solo. Solo in solo by Phil Lillard. Yeah, uh, already got it, but I didn't realise it's been remastered. They missed the trick. It should be in red vinyl, but it's not. It's one of these nipper things. But 
yeah. I'm ordering something else and said you can have, you can order this for 15 quid if you want so. wow. okay nice Okay, and just to complete, and Misfits he was part of as well. He took, he played, he played with the Misfits. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I must admit, yeah. disappointed. I went, went to see them uh, a few years ago, and they were supporting Simple Mind, and they didn't play Astrodine. Uh, well. Yeah. Did you get my money back? <laughs> no. <laughs> you should have had a word with him beforehand. Yeah, but at, that, at one stage they were all. Um, they were all lined up. They were all playing drums. They were all lined oh, up from the stage playing drums. Nice. Nice. Great, great. So, when you, so when you went to get your money back, did you call him Mr. Here or did you <laughs> call him Mitch? Excuse me, Mr. Uh, Mr. Here, Mr. <laughs> my, uh My brother in law met him once. He was at some zoo. In Vienna, I think, because uh, he was always he was always going on these um, jollies uh, to do with his work. And this particular time, um, I think Mitchell was just there as the you know putting the music on, and he got to meet him. Wow! Mm. In Vienna, it's a treat. Yeah, it's a treat. Guys, I think. But it doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people. Well, as, as my dad used to say, it's a small world, but I wouldn't like to paint it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good choice. Excellent choice. Yeah. yeah, really good choice. Great choice. So, guys, I think we said we'd wrap it up. Um, we're on a bit of a time limit for today's one. Uh, and as, as I'm in Wales, I'm probably obliged to watch the national team playing on football shortly. Yeah. 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 Oh, and was it England Andorra tonight or something, isn't it, as well, I think? Big game, big game. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be a win. It can't, it can't be as bad as Republic of Ireland against Azerbaijan. Jesus, <laughs> yeah. Uh, managed to one all draw. Uh, okay. And Scotland squeaked the win against Moldova. Yeah. So, um, I'm sticking to the rugby. Very wise. It's the right thing to yeah. do. Speaking of which, uh, the All Blacks are playing the Wallabies this morning at 7 a.m., so I've got that recorded. Oh, nice. That's oh, right. It's a Sunday afternoon, sort of, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. You do the likely lads, then. You don't want to know the score. Of? No, the Bledsoe Cup. The likely oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely not the Bledsoe I've been avoiding everything to, to make sure that... Um, <laughs> I'm watching it in Hollywood real time. You've never seen that, the Lightning Lads episode where they're oh, trying to they're trying to avoid the score between England and somebody. Uh, Bulgaria. Yes, yes. It's yeah. been played in Bulgaria. <laughs> and uh, do you remember the actor Brian Glover, you know, the one who was in yeah. Pez, the school teacher? Yeah. And he's doing his best to try and catch you know, and give away the score. And they're all day there, they're, you know, they're going from pub to pub. Because in those days, you never, you never had tellies in pubs. No. They were going from pub to pub to try and avoid this gap, this character played by Brian Glover. And in the end, they get to it, and I said, right, we're going to go home now and watch the, you know, watch the highlights. 
And I said, no, no, don't tell us to score. Don't tell us to score. We've gone this far. And he said, it's all right, lads. There's no, there's nothing to watch. He said, he said, well, what do you mean? He said, it was cooling off. It was a water lump. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, on that yeah, fitting note. Watching. Yeah. Let's reconvene and we will finish off 1980 the next time. Yes, Thank you all very much. Thank yeah. you all, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 Cheers.